1: To just be me.
0: Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor-Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a Minute Without Parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
2: Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio
3: app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz.
2: On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hello and welcome to
1: the Bechdel cast. My name is Caitlin Durante. My name is Jamie Loftus. And it's your birthday
2: it's episode, my Jamie. Birthday episode. I'm so excited. Oh and boy do we have uh, my favorite movie of all time for you today Wow so w- what we are doing today on the Bechyl cast and we will get you up to speed if you've never listened before welcome it's my birthday. We're gonna tell you what the podcast is about in a second but for for returning mm-hmm. listeners we are uh, unlocking an episode from our patreon aka Matreon back mm-hmm. from 2018. Yeah, early twenty eighteen. Which, uh, as we'll discuss was in a way five thousand years ago. Uh <laughs> but but yeah, it's a, an episode about Itania, one of my faves. And so if you're not a member of the Matreon, uh this will be your first time. And if you also if you're not a member of the Matreon, you know, think about joining us. It's a great little space for, for everybody. A beautiful community. But yes, uh it is i tanya day on the cast but first we had to tell everybody what our podcast is about because we don't do that in patreon episodes
1: if you're on the matreon you already know you what you're know, getting into you no
2: know. but this <laughs> but on the main feed we have to we have to be respectful of the fact that maybe it's your first time here because you're just an i tanya stan mm-hmm. and you couldn't help but click so
1: true so, what we do on the Bechtel cast is examine film through an intersectional feminist lens, focusing on the representation of women, but extending the conversation further to other topics. And we use the Bechtel test as a just inspiration,
2: a jumping off point. Yeah. If you will.
1: And that is a media metric created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechtel, sometimes called the Bechtel Wallace test. And it requires that for our purposes, our um, version of the test, that two people of any marginalized gender, they have to have names, mm-hmm. they have to speak to each other Famously. about something other than a man for at least two lines of dialogue. Let's try it. Okay, let's do it.
2: Okay. Hey, Caitlin. Yes, Jamie. Um, Do you ever feel like in a biopic, you're like, this biopic is so amazing, and then you learn about the subject of the biopic, and you're like, oh, geez. Um, Yes, I have done that before,
1: especially when the biopic is about a woman. It makes you think. And then it passes the Bechdel test, yeah.
2: (laughs) Doesn't have to be perfect, doesn't have to make sense, just really... Some bare minimum stuff. Most movies don't do it. Uh, You will not be shocked to know this movie is an exception. It's true. Um, But yes, so we are going to get the episode started up. We're going to kind of cut you in at the recap, right? Yeah,
1: slightly before the recap. So what I was thinking, because... Since we've recorded this. Two
2: and a half years.
1: Two and a half years ago. Right. So uh, a little um, little peek behind the curtain, everyone. We recorded this early 2018. Mm -hmm. It was when we were still recording our Matreon Patreon episodes on my iPhone in my bed. Oh, (laughs) this was the
2: one that was on your iPhone. They're yeah, usually so this was... <laughs> pre-COVID. They were all in your bed, but not all on your mm-hmm. iPhone. There's a clear timeline if you, if you're on the
1: <laughs> right. We, we the the early um, Patreon episodes we recorded um, on my iPhone, so the sound quality it's not bad, but if it doesn't sound top-notch, that is why it was early
2: days in the in the then
1: we upgraded to some fancier equipment. But in any case, so that if you're like, this doesn't sound as good as it normally does, that's why. Um, also, before we jump into the episode, we wanted to address something that we have had the habit of doing in the past, but we have been, we've become more aware of this thing that we're doing and we um, have been phasing it out. And what it is, is the use of certain phrases or just certain language that is disparaging of mental illness and is ableist. And what yes. I mean, what we mean by that is we use in this episode and others past phrases mm. like, oh, that's crazy, or mm. that's insane, or, um, et cetera, from, from that line of yes. thinking. This is still very common language that a lot of people use, and we would encourage you to try to scale back on it, get rid of it, not include that in your language anymore, because like we said, it is disparaging of mental illness and is ableist. Yes.
2: And so if you are interested, we will leave some uh, some links in the notes of this episode um, in case you have any questions about um, certain words, uses of words. Uh, we want to um, educate our listeners just as our listeners have educated us. These are, are words that have since been worked out of the show and our lives, and we hope to continue to, to, to do better. Mm-hmm. And you know, if, if these are still words in your daily rotation, uh, there are so many wonderful substitutes. That's the thing about words. You don't need to use uh, words that are disparaging to people because guess what, there's other words. It's true synonyms exist. So we wanted to acknowledge that as
1: well. Ooh, and another thing we want to be better about doing moving forward is to include content warnings for episodes in which we discuss topics that are sensitive and potentially triggering. So in this episode, we'd like to include a content warning regarding our discussion of physical and emotional abuse. So there's
2: that. And... And we also wanted to update our history with the movie because we uh, we recorded this episode just a couple months—I mean, like two maybe months after this movie came out—and um, mm-hmm. so you know the the movie has like whatever, eight tuppled in age since we <laughs> talked about it. Eight <laughs> tuppled—that's not even accurate or yep. whatever. Close enough. It's older much older.
1: Right. And and your especially your relationship with it Jamie has mm. grown and gotten more special. It's grown and deepened, yeah. So, for me, I mean we both saw the movie in, in theaters a couple times. I really enjoyed it. I haven't watched it, though, since we recorded the episode, aside from when I rewatched it uh, a couple days ago, just to, because I knew we were doing this episode and wanted to refresh my memory. Um, But for you, Jamie, the reason, so you're releasing this as your birthday episode because it's become such an important movie for you. So tell us about that.
2: It's, well, I guess when this movie came out, I knew it was one of my favorite movies already because I saw it nine times. In theaters, which I have <laughs> never done before wow. and never did since this episode slash this movie came out during this wonderful time where Movie Pass was a thing that worked and it actually yes. cost ten dollars. And so the only thing I used my Movie Pass for was to see I Tanya nine times, and I unsubscribed, <laughs> and then Movie Pass imploded, and yes, no one has heard from her since. But the I, <laughs> so I saw this movie nine times within two months I think I just mm-hmm. loved it there is like I I've always been very attached to the Tanya Harding myth basically it's a culture you know an American myth at this point mm-hmm. I my first cartoon I ever made was about Tanya Harding I remember that really it was like yeah it was forever ago but I, I really always attack I'm, I'm sure I talk about it in the episode too but I was always very attached to her just kind of as like someone who came from like the lower middle class i think tanya came uh, up from even uh lower class than than i was from but i just was really Mm -hmm. uh i really it really spoke to me how determined she was and how she didn't take shit from people and kind Mm -hmm. of how that attitude results in being punished by the culture that you live in especially uh, at the time that she was skating and I think the movie is so well done. It's written mm-hmm. and directed by a man, and yet I like it. And it's, <laughs> sometimes men don't do horrible work. Who they knew? really, they really figured it out this time. I, I, I rewatched <laughs> this movie last week, and I still love it so much. It makes me cry a lot. It's the only time I've ever been impressed by Sebastian Stan. Uh, Margo Robbie is at her best. I just, I think it is such a fun and engaging movie that manages to make. I I think, like, takes a lot of very serious topics and treats them with the weight and the respect they deserve, but also don't make it, like, a depression uh, experience. I think it's still, like, a super engaging and fun movie. And mm-hmm. after the last time I saw this movie in a theater, I was seeing this movie in theaters as late as July 2018. Wow. Because... I think you'll remember this when I say it is because they did a rooftop screening of *I Tanya* in downtown Los Angeles, and Tanya Harding was there. Yes, and it's here that I wanted to just acknowledge because it's just interesting, I guess. Of like, I mean, obviously, never meet your heroes, but this one stung a little. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> Tanya Harding, very sweet, uh, but she gave kind of like some opening. Statements, and I actually, mm-hmm. I'm going to cite myself here. I wrote a piece about it at the time for Paste Magazine uh, mm-hmm. called "Falling Out of Love with Tanya Harding," and that kind of says what I'm saying now. Just like. Tanya Harding was a kind of a hero of mine and like Mm -hmm. she overcame so much and was like, you know, maintained her dignity through a really difficult experience. But then when you hear her talk uh, about her uh, political views, you're like, Uh Oh "Oh, dear. She didn't get explicitly into her political views in that, but there was enough. There was some, uh, some bat signaling to some things I really don't agree with. Uh And, it, I mean, and I'm sure, like, our, our listeners, everyone at some point in their life realizes that you have to idolize the idea and the message and not the person. Uh, but mm-hmm. this was one of those moments for me where I was just like, oh, I wanted, you know, I wanted to agree with Tanya Harding on everything. I wanted her to have, like, mm. views that I aligned with, but um simply wasn't the way it went. But I still really love the movie. I feel like it is just... My favorite movie ever. I watch it all Mm -hmm. the time. I watch it to (laughs) fall asleep. I watch it to Like, I just... It's my movie. I love it. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Cool. Well, I think with that we can just launch into the the unlocked episode. You know, in a movie when they do like kind of like, what's some sort of call that effect. It's like a transition. (laughs) It's like a ripple, like a, (laughs) yeah. Like the ripple effect, like the dream, like the flashback. It's, it's, imagine that whatever the audio version of that is, we, that's.
2: (laughs) 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 So, okay. I Tanya is if you are not aware is the new Tanya Harding biopic, starring Margot Robbie as Tanya Harding and Allison Janney as Tanya Harding's mother and a guy from Gossip Girl as Jeff Calooly, hot, hot, hot. Oh yeah, Jeff Calooly, hot, hot, hot in this movie. Distracting, can't deal with it.
1: And I'm very upset that uh, I think he's hot because I of know. how
2: his character is horrible. His character is and as a person, he's a horrible person. And real life Jeff Calooly. Not hot. Basically, everyone real life in this story not hot, uh, but it's a movie so hot. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I just explained how movies worked, like regular, but like way hotter. Uh, mm. So, so it's about the 1994 Olympics where the media frenzy surrounding Tanya Harding when she allegedly was involved with whacking Nancy Kerrigan, who is barely addressed in this story, very intentionally, right? And we'll get there too. But, so, it's got a lot, a lot of buzz. A lot of buzz. Marco Robbie, people loved her performance. Allison... Allison uh, Janney. Queer icon.
1: Allison Janney's character? Yeah, I, or Allison no,
2: Janney? Alice and Janney. Okay. Allison Janney, queer icon. But I would argue, Allison Janney in a fur coat with a parrot, queer icon. <laughs> like, <laughs> easily. So, yeah, that's the movie. If you haven't seen it, I... Would highly recommend seeing it. I think it's such a fun, well-done movie. I love it. Agree. The one thing I was surprised about with this movie is... I mean, when they say I, Tanya," they're not kidding. Nancy Kerrigan is, like, left out of this story. Right. Which In
1: I In fact, think... I don't even think she has any lines except for when she's like, Why? After
2: she gets hit. Exactly. Yeah. No, and then they have whoever the actress that was on set for <laughs> two or three days playing the part of Nancy Kerrigan, they just have her basically reenacting news footage. Which is weird because it's like in all like the more recent documentaries about this, there's a lot of talk about how like Nancy was also done a huge disservice by the media. And not, I mean, not as significant as Tanya, obviously, but you know, Nancy didn't do anything, I feel like Nancy often gets framed as, like, this, like, prissy bitch. Uh Uh-huh. When Nancy, which they, I, this was, like, the thing that I was, like, oh, they're really not gonna mention this in the movie at all? Nancy was just as poor as Tanya Harding. Uh She was not from an abusive family, but she was also, like, a blue-collar gal who was reframed by the media to not seem like that, and was, like, held accountable for, like, oh, look at this rich bitch when she wasn't. And so... That's all I have to say. I just thought it was, she, she's really glossed over. I mean, this movie is, we're seeing it through Tanya's eyes, and so I guess it's like Nancy's a prissy bitch, but I thought a little more could have been done to just acknowledge that.
1: May I posit a theory? Sure. That this movie is the first of a, a figure skating extended universe, cinematic universe. I... And there's going to be <laughs> an I, Nancy?
2: Could I play Nancy Kerrigan?
1: <laughs> yes. I cast you.
2: I'm a brunette from Massachusetts. I could do it. Yeah, I could
1: do it. <laughs> You've done ballet. Figure skating is ballet on ice, right?
2: <laughs> Dude,
1: exactly. Please don't send me hate mail for saying. I, <laughs> I feel like there's someone out there. Are no, you figure not.
2: Sk- <laughs> No. <laughs> it's. I mean, figure skating is fucking hard. I could not. I couldn't hang. I tried it when I was little. Couldn't do it. Mm. Um, I got really good at roller skating as a kid. And later blader. I,
1: not rollerblades roller skates
2: oh sorry yeah they're different oh sorry
1: (laughs) didn't mean to (laughs) but but I never (laughs) I never ice skated until like a couple years ago uh Uh, and some of the skills do transfer over because all my friends were like falling because I'd never like roller skated or ice skated before but I was like pretty good beginner and uh (laughs) they were like Caitlin how are you so good at this I'm like Bitch,
2: I roller skated. You're, you have a lot of interesting hidden talents. <laughs> you really do. Thank you. You're
1: welcome.
2: Should, should well, we
1: recap? Yeah, let's recap. I, Tanya. So it's this cast of actors reenacting both interviews that are like direct to camera mm-hmm. and then also the story events as they unfold.
2: So every actor we see, we see they're basically playing the same character over the course of Almost three decades. Like, I think Margot Robbie plays Tanya between ages 15 and 45 in this movie. Yes. Yeah.
1: And then, yeah, so you see, like, older Tanya played by Margot Robbie in interview style. Same thing with, what's his name? Stan?
2: Sebastian Sebastian Stan. Sebastian Stan.
1: Hot. <laughs> oh, hot. Okay, I know. He's so hot as young Jeff Glooley, as older Jeff Glooley with that weird goatee.
2: Horrible. The mustache is better. He's got, somehow he's got a face that works for a mu- yeah. Real life Jeff Glooley did look like straight up disgusting with a mustache. but I mean, this, again, it's like movie hotness of just like... <gasps> I guess you can just wear that, and uh, it's hot. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, shit. Okay. My favorite performance in this movie... Margot Robbie is awesome. Allison Janney is awesome. My favorite performance in this movie... I had to look up this guy's name, because he is, like... I think this is his big first, like, The guy role. who plays Sean Eckert. Sean Eckert. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Paul Walter Hauser. I hope he's in everything. He was so good. This is a breakout role for him. I... I hope so, dude. He was so fucking funny. I know. And I wasn't... I didn't realize that... I'd never done, like, a real deep dive on Sean Eckhart, and I didn't realize how fully delusional he was. (laughs) And then when they do... At the end, they do, like, the side-by-side to see how exactly they reenacted interviews. The Sean Eckhart interviews are crazy. It's like, well, I work in covert ops. Yeah,
1: counter-terrorism and and espionage. (laughs) And
2: you're like, what? Right. They're like, Sean, but you don't. He goes... Oh, but I do. do. (laughs) And he's like, but we checked, and you don't. He's like, oh, but I do, I do, and I do. (laughs) He's so fucking funny, and like, I, I just shout out to Paul Walter Hauser, wherever you are, I'm sure you're listening. I just (laughs) thought he was like brilliant, and I hope he's in everything now. Yeah, he was so he was so great.
1: So I, Tanya, the story we follow. I Tanya through her ice skating career. I'm sorry, we follow who?
2: I Tanya. <laughs> sorry, her name is I Tanya. I Tanya Harding. <laughs> We're doing great it's today. Fun. How are we gonna record another episode after this? Okay, okay <laughs> it's gonna be great.
1: We follow Tanya, or like, I think she is named <laughs> I Tanya. Through her figure skating career, which starts when she's a soft four, which means three. So we meet her mother, Lavanna, who is, how to describe her, she's overbearing, she is emotionally abusive, she's physically abusive, she is one of those parents who, oh, look at all the sacrifices I've made for you, and
2: you don't appreciate anything. She's a very (sighs) bad parent. We'll hit on this in a bunch of different places, but this movie, people have differing opinions on how this movie does with the topic of class. I think it does pretty well. Especially based on the fact that from what I get, and if you know differently, please hit us up. But pretty much every event described in this movie is based on anecdotal evidence and interviews. So it's kind of tricky to make the argument of like, ah, oh, they're making these white trash people look like a joke. And it's like, well, they did confirm that this is what they did. Mm-hmm. Down to like... That guy, Derek's, like, running through a fucking pane of glass to get... Like, that really happened. There's footage of that happening. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) Like, all the stuff in the movie basically is stuff that real-life idiots did. Wait, did it happen where he bashed his head through it? Because he had the baton.
1: He could have broken the glass with the baton. Oh, I guess that's possible. I don't know.
2: Anyways, the way this movie deals with glass. Because it does make commentary without changing the story. But, I don't know. I mean... I was fortunate to have parents that were not abusive and are great. They're my problematic faves. But I do think it was like interesting setting up this dynamic and showing this dynamic that I saw in a lot of my friends growing up of like parents in poor communities being too hard on their kids with the implied logic being like, I need to toughen you up for the world or you're going to end up just like me, mm. which is kind of the message that's kind of Tanya's fear throughout the movie is that she's going to be exactly like her mom and be a waitress, which she is for a while. And it seems like, and it's never explicitly stated, but my takeaway was that like Levana was basically like, I'm going to be really, really, really hard on you to the point where it is illegal, abusive. I'm going to throw a knife at you. Mm-hmm. But the overarching thing to be like, I have to toughen you up because you're being set up to fail by mm-hmm. the world. And that is, like, a parent-child dynamic I've seen before. And I feel like haven't seen a ton on screen, so I thought it was... I mean, it was, like, scary, but, like, I, I don't know. It worked for me mm-hmm. in this movie.
1: Or if you do see it on screen, it's... I feel like it's often not the main character. It'll be, like, the main character's friend who... Who needs rescuing who, yeah. or something. Yeah. An example that comes to mind is The Craft, where... Oh, sure. Yeah. Right, right, right. And if I thought about it, I'm sure I could come up with others, but...
2: Yeah, I don't know. Like, so there were certain moments with her where I was like, ooh, that seems like my aunt or, like, my friend's mom of, like, some lines I wrote down where, like, you were soft, nice makes you shit. Like, basically, these repeated enforcement, like, you have to be really tough on yourself and on everyone in your life or you're not going to survive, which is, you know, I... I see where she's coming from. I don't hard disagree with her approach to <laughs> literally everything. But but I, I think the more common depiction in media overarching... Like, there's so many fucking movies about, like, rich children and their distant parents, not poor children, and their overbearing to the point of abusive parents. But I think in the real world, those are just as
1: common. Right. I mean, so there's... I think it'll take me the whole episode to get through the recap. But essentially, yeah, just, it follows Tanya and her figure skating career starting from a very early age. Mm. She's a standout. She's very good, even at like She's 15. A She's a stand-up comic. <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> Crashing season three. <laughs> the Tanya Harding story.
1: The she... Marvelous Mrs. Harding. <laughs> so she is great. She trains a ton Her mom does pay for all of her lessons and is supportive in her pursuit of becoming a figure skater.
2: But again, that's like kind of like another class commentary thing where like I think where like children of poor families often feel like they are an investment if they're doing anything extra. Right. Where like kids who are from wealthier backgrounds are able to try more extracurriculars and and there's less of like a pressure to be like, well, you better have fucking fun
1: supportive in the sense that she was paying for it that she was right. there but also inflicting a whole lot of psychological warfare on tanya
2: exactly <laughs> it was like it was basically a contract for abuse yeah. of like in order for you to do the thing that makes you happy i have to be able to fucking be all out abusive to you at all times mm-hmm. and that's the only way she could keep doing it right so we see Tanya's progress
1: as a figure skater into her teens and early twenties, and this is also around the time that she meets Jeff Galuli. I don't know how old he is when they meet, but she's only fifteen, and he's probably. I think he's. I think he's supposed to be nineteen or twenty. Ugh. Well, that's upsetting. So they start dating, and then he starts becoming abusive toward her as well, mm. both physically and emotionally. Her career starts to take off. She starts winning a lot of competitions. Mm-hmm. She moves out of Lavana's home because she's had it up to here with her. So she moves out with Jeff. The abuse continues with him. Like, she's winning national competitions, and the Olympics are on the horizon. And then she gets a death threat called on her.
2: And right. So this is 94. There was, like, a weird... And this is all historical. It's not weird because it, you know, happened. But, like, there's, like, she goes to the Olympics in 92. She does not deliver. It's implied it's because she's, like, maybe, like, drinking too much and, like, doing stuff. gained some weight. Gained some weight. Got out of shape. Which, you know, is a little shamey, but also seemed like there was some truth in that. And that was, like, had to do with why she... Which ties into her abusive relationship with Jeff. Mm -hmm. But she was in an abusive relationship and... Was Potentially not
1: self medicating exactly
2: like she didn't she didn't deliver at the first Olympics, which would normally be a death sentence, because by the time the next Winter Olympics come around four years later, she would be in theory too old, which is crazy because she would have been twenty five, right? <laughs> but I guess an ice skater years too old, yeah. But then there's this thing that really happened where they're like, actually, I don't know what the rationale is, but they're like, we're gonna have the Winter Olympics again in two years which would be, like, perfect timing. And so there's kind of this, there's a bunch of great montages in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, just, like, a series of really stellar training montages that I really loved. Yeah. Uh, to heavy-handed music. It was great. Uh, so she tra- she starts training again, and she's kind of, like, she's got right. it back. She dumped Jeff. She's, like, on a tear. She's doing great. Uh, and then she takes Jeff back in.
1: Right, okay, uh, right, exactly. So she takes Jeff back because she's doing competitions, and the judges are like, "You're just not the image we want to project. We want a wholesome American family," and okay, she's like, two, "I don't have right. that." So she gets back with Jeff. To basically placate the judges and be like, look, look at this family I have. Because they get married at, at one point earlier in the story. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, it, it's it's like to basically, yeah, project the image that they're going for. And then there's like this big competition that if you place, I forget exactly what it's called. But it's like if you place in this competition, you are considered for the Olympic team. But if you don't place in the competition, you can't be considered for the Olympic team. So Got high it. stake shit. Yeah. And prior
1: to this, a death threat is called on Tanya and it freaks her out. And they're like, oh crap, like this is going to ruin my chances. And then this is where, you know, the stories. This
2: is where Paul Walter Hauser really
1: starts to fucking <laughs> yeah.
2: shine. But he has this idea where basically. Jeff wants to impress Tanya or somehow, like, I think honestly, like, get her to be indebted to him a little more so she won't leave him. Right. Because uh, that's how he thinks. Because he's, he's a manipulator. Because he's a manipulator. But he's so stupid that he's not even good at it. But, like,. <laughs> So he's saying, like, oh, it'll improve Tanya's chances if we call in a death threat on Nancy. Mm -hmm. And then Sean, who also called in the death threat on Tanya, we learn later, and that's true. Sean has literally, he's just so fucking, like, he's just smart enough to be extremely infuriating. Because he's, like, just smart enough to be like, you should have known better, but whatever. He's smarter. I guess. I don't, like, is he? Sean's smarter than Jeff, but that's saying nothing. Yeah, <laughs> Jeff's literally dumb as a rock. So Sean's like, because I think that the movie goes way out of its way to be like toxic, 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 this character. Sean especially. Mm-hmm. His toxic masculinity is kind of, uh, uses a punchline over and over in this movie. Yeah. Uh, which I hadn't seen it portrayed in other places, but it, I, I don't know. I thought it was funny. And I thought it is good to make toxic masculinity you know, project that as, like, you look like a fucking idiot. Right. But so he's like, oh, we need to do something to Nancy. And Jeff said, okay, let's mail in some letters. Mail, and mail death threats. Which yeah. is like, oh, you're a snail mail a death threat. <laughs> Incredible idea. Anyways, Sean takes matters into his own hands and plans the fucking whack that the whack heard around the world. <laughs> right, yes. Which is carried out by people who are somehow even stupider (laughs) its just a well of stupidity that just a gaping maw of
1: idiots and how involved tanya was in the planning and execution of these letter death threats that'll be up for question unclear ever right
2: you know and i i'm not even gonna bother positing my own theories we'll never know yeah we can hit on this later too but like I don't think Tanya Harding is, like, a good or nice person. And I don't think that she's, like, completely telling the truth. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that that makes her story any less valid or interesting or sure. worth telling. But it's, like, I don't know. I mean, she it's, it's clear that she knew about some portion of it. I think this movie plays it down perhaps a little too much, but, mm-hmm. like, we'll never know. Sure. So the attack on Nancy Kerrigan's knee happens, and then... I think that the sequence of events is that Nancy obviously can't compete after she's whacked mm-hmm. at these trials. Tanya does really well at the trials places. It looks like she's going to be on the Olympic team. The question is, will Nancy be allowed to be on the Olympic team since she couldn't compete
0: uh-huh. in the
2: prelims? And that part is like, it makes sense that it's left out of this movie, but it is pretty like incredible how she completely... I'm like crying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she like... <laughs> She like totally buckled down, did not pay attention to any of the media coming out and just like had her, her like family and support system totally blackballed everyone. It was like, she's training, she's getting better. And in six weeks went from like whacked knee to like, yeah, that recovery time was insane. It like shouldn't have been possible. Like it is pretty, I just don't think Nancy gets enough credit. (laughs) (laughs) I think she's also, she's not as interesting historical figure as Tanya Harding, but she was pretty fucking cool. So, because Nancy's able to do this amazing turnaround, she's allowed on the Olympic team, mm-hmm. and also because—and I think that this is explicitly stated in the movie too—and has been said by Tanya Harding in interviews—is like, the media who's been like investing all this time and energy into this story is not just going to be like, "Yeah, we're not going to let Nancy compete." Like, people right. wanted a huge event. Yeah, yeah. And then the
1: movie ends with they both compete in the Olympics. Both I, uh, I Tanya, <laughs> both uh-huh. Tanya and Nancy. Tanya does not place. Nancy Kerrigan gets the silver medal. Tanya's skating career is over also because she goes to court and the judge is like, You're never allowed to skate in any sort of competitions ever again. Mm-hmm. She's like pleading with the judge, Please, you have like, this is my whole life. This is the only thing I
2: know how to do. I don't have an education. That was like the most impactful part of the entire movie for me. I Same. did not see that. That was, like, I I felt like one of, like, the big successes of the movie because I knew that that was how the story ended, but it never really occurred to me exactly how devastating that was mm. for her, where that was, like, truly all she had. So if her involvement was as low as the movie would have you believe, that's horrible. And it, like, it does show how women are punished. Yeah. Yeah, that was, oh, was that having... was, like, such a gut-wrenching moment it really was. to watch of, like...
1: That would be, I was thinking, I was like, that would be like if someone told me that I could never do stand-up again, but then I was like, meh.
2: Yeah, I was like, that would that'd be the worst day. I'd be like, you know what? Uh, I wouldn't cry. Yeah. I, <laughs> I wouldn't mean, cry. I would
1: offer to do jail time instead. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what the feeler? Uh, that's so funny. I was like, I'd rather go to jail than not be able to go to an <laughs> open mic <like>, ever again. <laughs> Open like, mics are jail. So <laughs> it doesn't.
1: God. So then uh, she becomes. We see her like stint as a lady boxer.
2: Uh, I have an autographed picture of Tanya Harding during her boxing days. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I really. I'm deep into it. And I only say lady boxer because that's what she calls herself. She she's does. just a
1: boxer. Anyway, right.
2: Per her, she's a lady. boxer.
1: Yes. So that's the story. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll come right back.
2: Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit.
0: Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: There's a lot to digest here. There's a lot to discuss. One of the main points I wanted to bring up was the kind of ongoing theme. She's Mm. talking about how figure skating is this sport where, like, the judges want you to be this old-timey version of what a woman is supposed to be. And her sort of recognition of how she was never going to be that because Mm -hmm. she didn't have the money to afford all the pretty costumes and she chopped wood every morning so like she (laughs) didn't have just
2: sort of like the little delicate frame and everything like that. That was one thing that I thought could have been touched on a little more. I agree. That I was surprised it didn't because that is such a big that informed the direction of her career so much. And I think that that was like why the people who liked Tanya Harding really liked her because she, like, she was so athletically good that there was no, you know, like, even though she was not traditionally feminine and, like, had an athletic build, which makes fucking sense for an athlete, but you weren't supposed Mm -hmm. to have an athletic build. uh, And didn't have a ton of money. But she was so good that people, like... Could not deny her, you know, right. like that was cool, but it's we see we see it a few times she gets into an argument with judges and says, "I'm making my costumes, which is true. she was making yeah. i <laughs> she had so many disadvantages, but they're just like, yeah, you are not really what well we're looking for, but you're so good that we can't tell you to go fuck yourself until they found the first excuse to tell her to go fuck her, and I think that that also directly ties into how she's treated as. You know, she was characterized right away as, like, white trash Mm -hmm. who they were looking for an excuse to get rid of her. Right. And the second they found one, they got rid of her forever. Yeah. And
1: not only her sort of, like, appearance and the way she presented herself physically, it was also, like, from what I gathered... Like, her music choices, you know, she did a lot of, like, hard rock and metal. She, like, wore the blue nail polish that her coach was like, no more
2: of that. Like Dare to say she was a product of her fucking environment. Right, yeah. Like, you know? But that's not an environment that that sport respects. Right. Um, Exactly. So, watching this...
1: I mean, I, I related to her because there's a part where she's talking about how she, like, operates a forklift, chops wood, and works at a hardware store and something like that. And I didn't right. have that exact same experience. But I grew up in a blue-collar family, you know, working class. My dad had a forklift and a backhoe part of my chores were to go out into the woods and
2: Pennsylvania <laughs> crazy
1: because we lived in the middle of the woods we would go out in the woods we would right. gather firewood I'd have to like load it onto this like wagon that was hooked up to the tractor I had to drive the tractor Can around you were to- like a farm girl I'm not a fa- well I'm a woods girl we didn't have a you're farm but girl. we had Sorry. a wood <laughs> a woods you had wood there's wood there's woods. there's wood involved um, I had to fucking rake leaves all the time I had to mow grass all the time I had to plow our driveway with a 1980s. <gasps> Plow. We had a 1986. You know I associated plows and libertarians. F 250 <laughs> pickup truck mm-hmm. that my dad attached a snow plow to. So I had so many physical chores that I had to do all the time growing That's up. Cool. And I resented the hell of out of it. Sure. Because like at school I was like trying to be friends with like the popular kids whose parents were doctors and who didn't have to, do, to like shovel dirt all the time. And I was just like, ah, please, no one find out about my home life. right? You know, I was kind of, I was trying to fit in with like the quote unquote, like what women are supposed to be and what, you know, teen girls are supposed to be interested in and all this stuff. And I was just like, ah, like there was just like this whole internal struggle that I was like going through. But I also was right. like, it's cool that I can like do all this stuff. It is stuff cool.
2: And like. But that the, <laughs> but that's not the message the world was sending you. No, 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 no. At that time. I was a city poor person. So we didn't do a ton of outside. (laughs) things but like we're like a city mouse and a country mouse (laughs) we really are I I forget what a country mouse you were yeah like I have no outdoor skills but my first like uh, full understanding of class in a meaningful way was it was weird I wasn't that aware of it growing up because everyone was poor and I'm kind of grateful for that where there really wasn't there was a class divide that I thought about a lot when I was watching Lady Bird of like there were people who had a like more money than us, that my parents would be like, "Oh, just don't act like a fucking idiot around them," you know. <laughs> yeah. So there's little stuff like that, but I, 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 largely didn't become aware of my upbringing being poor until I was in college with a ton of oh, rich kids. Emerson Richies. Yeah, and that was like that was like an upsetting experience. Where for my entire college experience, I started out by like I had to work full time through college, or I would have had to drop out and. For the first half, I would not tell anybody, and I was, like, very embarrassed about it. You know, I would just be like, oh, I'm busy. I can't, like, go to whatever. But it's, like, because I was working till 3 a.m. at a scary pizza place run by a sexual predator <laughs> who I called the police on. But, like, but and then in the second half of college, I, I'm really glad that I did. But it's, like, I just was, like, you know what? Rich people are actually trash, and I'm working really hard, and I don't want to be... Like, it sucks enough having to work these awful jobs, so I'm not going to, like, hide the fact that I'm doing it. I'm like, whatever, I'm working harder than you. Fuck you. Yeah. All I had to say is, like, she had so much extra stuff to have to do, and she was still one of the best. The best, And that's yeah. so... The best. And they still didn't want to give it to her. And I, and I totally get that that is, like, a... That's fucking frustrating to be like, I am working against so much more than the average person, and you're still not... You still won't give it to me.
1: Which is a thing that, I mean, this is poised as more of a class struggle than a gender one, in this movie at least. Right. Because we're only seeing women figure skaters in this movie. There are certainly gender-specific things to talk about in this movie. But for her, it was more of a class struggle thing. Yeah. But I think it is still very much like a parallel situation where women have to work a lot harder to get recognition to be taken seriously than their male counterparts a lot of the time.
2: Right. And then just, like, every time you're in a marginalized group and then you add another marginalization on top of that, it gets infinitely harder again. We
1: call that intersectionality. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, queen. So I enjoyed that this movie at least posed this theme of, like, a woman... Her background, her appearance, the way she presents herself, the way she talks, mm. her tastes and things doesn't align with the quote unquote old timey version of what a woman's supposed to be of as per the yeah. judges of this sport and how that was a struggle for her and how she sort of had to like suppress who she was to be able to fit in, but also how she was kind of like unapologetically being like, fuck you. Like, there's that scene where that's the best. She tells the judges, like, how am I going to get a fair chance? Like, why do you hate me so much? And they keep saying like, we also judge on presentation. And then she says like, suck my dick. And it's like, it's yeah.
2: so, like you're like, oh no. But you're also like, fuck, yeah. that. that's so cool. Right. Like, and she really did that too. Just like so cool. I mean, yeah. I, I wish that that was dug into a little bit more. But I I do love that she. I mean, she had, and it comes up a million times. The triple axel is like her secret weapon to be able to stay in Mm -hmm. skating because she was the only one that could do it. Yeah. The movie makes a point several times to say
1: that she was the first woman to attempt and complete it and be really good at it, like ever. Uh, Right. It was her secret weapon. Secret
2: weapon. Um, Okay. We would be remiss to not talk about the two central abusive relationships in this movie. Mm Mm-hmm. One between Tanya and her mother, the other between Tanya and Jeff. We touched on her mother already, but I did think it was like kind of a different, unusual. And again, it's a biopic, so they are just sort of displaying real alleged events and interactions with them. But it was interesting seeing a relationship between two women where I think that like it's a trope basically where it's like this older character is going to bully their student as it were into greatness Mm -hmm. whiplash is Mm -hmm. that exact thing there's a i mean but there's other i had some written down but i feel like it's usually it's either between uh like a male coach and a Mm -hmm. male student or it's between like a male coach and a female student and it's a sexualized relationship which we see in Black Swan Mm. Uh,
1: another example of a male coach and a female student is Million Dollar Baby I don't think I don't remember that movie super well I don't think there's any sexual component of their relationship Mm. but at first he's like I don't train girls and she's like I'm the best though I'm really good and he's like okay fine I'm Clint Eastwood and all whatever
2: Boring. fuck Clint Eastwood (laughs) fuck Clint Eastwood (laughs) but like yeah but he like kind of you know they develop a friendship but it's like he a lot of that movie is him bullying her into getting really good. Yeah. It's a dynamic we've seen a lot. I just we rarely see it between two women and mm-hmm. that is a component of Tanya and her mom's relationship. And it's abusive. I think it's like more of you see a more whiplashy kind of relationship. Yeah. That was the closest parallel I could think of. There's a couple different scenes where Lavana just says like Tanya did her best when she was angry. And so we see Ivana paying people to tell Tanya she sucks before she gets mm-hmm. on the ice. Like, all this fucking sadistic, manipulative shit with the goal being, and that way she'll do really good. And the other way that she would do that is by withholding praise at any cost. Yeah, Where even when, you know, Tanya's landing, triple axels, doing stuff no one else can do, it's always, well, this is what you did wrong. Mm-hmm. And Lavana is abusive on so many different levels. It's just like, well, which do we pick? She is abusive on like a coachy kind of level. Which is crazy because she can't fucking skate. No. (laughs) But I think even more so than Tanya's actual coach, Diane, who is not great and is very... I think that she falls more in the bucket of like, Tanya, you're not feminine enough. Right. That's sort of the space she occupies. But... Lavana is like you suck, you're bad, and I'm going to tell you you're bad cuz that'll make you good. And she gets enough results by doing that that she continues to do it. Right. And it and it's bad. We sort of already touched on the class component of her abuse of like making it feel like Tanya owed her something, mm-hmm. which is I think very common with Kids and parents, yeah, just like a kid feeling like an investment, and like they have to do well because their parents are struggling in order for them to be able to do anything, which is an unfair pressure to put on a kid. I don't know. I mean, it is so complicated. <laughs> the issue of class in America, if you can believe, it's a pretty <laughs> nuanced, complicated thing. But there's that element. There's also just the element of like, Ivana is a fucking bad person Mm -hmm. who wants everyone around her to suffer and and i i'd be curious i mean we see very little of tanya's dad in this movie Mm -hmm. it seems like they had a good relationship and that he was kind of the beta to levana's alpha to the point where tanya says later in the movie well you hit dad i was like oh she hit dad yeah okay that's you know an unusual abuse dynamic Mm -hmm. But it's, it seemed, Levana is framed in the movie as a character who, for a number of reasons that are explained, wants everyone around her to suffer. Right. And Tanya certainly suffers. And, and also Levana is completely aware that Jeff is abusive towards Tanya and does basically nothing to stop it. And, and mm-hmm. it really just makes that one comment in that scene they have together... Where she says, like, what, I forget the exact wording. It's like, um, you're a dumb
1: piece of shit who thinks she deserves to get hit.
2: Right. Where, you know, we can get the subtext of what she's saying, which is that you don't deserve to get hit, but <laughs> she's leaning with, you're a dumb piece of shit. But also, she's hitting Tanya. So she's hitting,
1: exactly. And then, so, and then Tanya responds by being like, well, where did I get that idea? The implications of that are obviously like, oh... I think I deserve to get hit because you hit me my entire life. There's Yeah, there's, and then, no, there's
2: no subtlety in the way that issue is presented. Yeah, but that's, like, good. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there should be, like, shades of gray presented no, of, like, no. should this be a... Like. <laughs> but it is interesting to me, and, and Jeff is the less fleshed-out character of the two uh, between him and Levana, but it is interesting to see. I think, as of right now, I feel like ultimately it is... An interesting and I think kind of impactful choice to characterize an abuser a little bit and you know Alice and Jenny there is a part in the movie where she says like my mom was nice and nothing happened you know and like that and that's why that's why I amounted to nothing I think was the implication of Mm. like nice parents in poor communities raise unremarkable children Mm -hmm. seems to be her belief And that is a moment that reveals so much about that character and who she is. And it's like, do we want to see a three-dimensional depiction of an abuser? In some ways, it's like you don't really want to introduce a, like, I don't want to be able to empathize with this person. But real-life abusers have motivations Mm -hmm. and have elements. And probably, you know, not every single thing they have done in their entire life is the worst thing ever ever. And that is something that you struggle with. And that's part of the reason why abusive relationships are so hard to get out of because people are in them yeah and and, (laughs) people right
1: i i I think it's dangerous to depict an abuser in a way that we might be empathetic or sympathetic it's hard to them i think it it is though important to present them as kind of like three-dimensional people because then we can kind of start to learn okay why are you this way is there anything about you that can be Helped and right. made to not be that way, like because oftentimes, yeah, an abuser depicted in media is just like very one-dimensional. They just are sort of like pure evil kind of thing, right? And we don't understand why they're that way, or if we do, it's Which you know can be
2: an interesting villain character, but it doesn't if the objective is to get people to recognize people like this who may exist in their own life, that is not the way to go. Right. Yeah. So I think it's it was actually like pretty
1: responsible on the movie's part the t- to depict Lavanna the way that sh- she was because
2: she is a fleshed-out character. Who, who... But the movie also doesn't absolve her of anything, which is... Mm-hmm important, and I thought was also effectively yeah. Do I think, there was one moment where I was like, should we be giving this abusive woman laugh lines? Oh, right.
1: Especially that part where she, it's like whenever Tanya and Jeff's relationship has kind of like taken off, and we don't see yeah, there's Lilana for a like, while, and she's my, like, well my fucking storyline's disappearing
2: right about now, and we're all like, teehee. Big laugh line. It's like, I don't know. There's some shades of gray there that I'm not totally comfortable with. Yeah. But... By and large, how she's treated in the, in the movie, narrative-wise, I thought was interesting. And if that's the choice they're making, to have a three-dimensional abuser, the movie doesn't absolve her. It's clear that what she's doing is in the wrong, but it offers some insight into why that may be. And I thought that was an interesting choice. Yeah, We don't get that as much with Jeff. I don't particularly care. Another element of the abusive relationship that I thought was very interesting and ultimately pretty effective was tanya is the abused in both of these relationships she's on the receiving end with her mother from the second she emerges from the womb and then you know shortly after it seems like she and jeff had like three weeks that were really pleasant and then seven or eight years that were a fucking nightmare yeah but I think that, and, and I need to do more thinking on this, and, and I want to bring more effective ex- examples to the table in the future. But I feel like, in general, there is this media trend of when women are portrayed as being in abusive relationships on screen. And, and I think, actually, an exa- a recent example would be Nicole Kidman's character in Big Little Lies. Mm. She's abused by her husband. Uh pretty brutally in that show but her character is presented as kind of a perfect character of like here's this woman who works really hard does all of her domestic chores is basically bringing her husband his meal and he whacks it out of her hand and and hits her Mm -hmm. that sort of thing where we are seeing a depiction of abuse that is like i mean it's very hard to watch and it is i'm sure realistic to some people's experience but these flawless women in abusive relationships, I think, is kind of a media trend where it's like, and she never did a whole thing wrong in her entire life. How could this person abuse her? Whereas in Tanya's abusive relationships, Tanya is a very flawed character. She fucks up a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and there are examples of times where she fucks up in ways that have nothing to do with Jeff or her mother. She fucks up independently, yeah. like a person would. Right. So again, it's just like showing real people in abusive relationships. There's examples of, yeah, like Tanya fucks up a lot in this movie and in her life. And like, it couldn't be more clear that just because you don't even have to like her to recognize that she doesn't deserve this abuse. And I just thought that that was something that I really haven't seen that much of like, especially a woman in an abusive relationship where she can be a fuck up and she is doing stuff. She's not a perfect person, and she's receiving abuse and she doesn't deserve that. Where, yeah, seeing yeah. seeing a character like that just sort of drew my attention to how rare it is to see a flawed character receive abuse in a way that it's still very clear that it's like, yeah, that was something I thought about a lot. Yeah, after no, that's this. really interesting.
1: I think that's a symptom of. So many movies that do depict an abusive relationship—it's caricatures almost. It's a lot of like archetypes. It's you know not real people who are the characters of the story, so they don't seem as fleshed out. Or they—it's you know you see the writer being well, I want to make my character this way, and and to me in some crazy way that justifies or doesn't the abuse they receive, sort of thing. So they're just like these not real people who the storyteller designs in the way that they think is going to serve their story best and oftentimes like you said it is like the what's the show called pretty little
2: big, li- big, big little, little pretties big. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I like to call it the Laura Dernan and Eye Patch Hour. Yeah. <laughs> it's I just, great. I'm
1: never going to know the difference between pretty little liars and big little lies. Two
2: amazing shows. <laughs>
1: okay. It's so, all you need to know. So it, often we do see, you know, a very kind of like perfect, prim, proper woman who doesn't really have any flaws and is the victim of abuse.
2: I think that that's almost like another way to justify writing a female character that's unrealistically passive. Yeah. Yeah, where like the female character receiving abuse is not doing anything wrong in any area of her life and she's punished. But,
1: and I think the writers of stories like that are like, look how tragic this is. Or, like, look how much she doesn't deserve this. Whereas, I think, like, the, those same people would be like, oh, but if the character's flawed, it, it makes her somehow deserve it a little bit more, and that's obviously not the message that anyone should be sending. So, yeah, I think it is really interesting that Tanya is depicted as a flawed character, and that right. does not make
2: her deserve abuse. Just, that was, like, something that really struck me with this movie, where it's like, that is so cool. that, And also, I think that, like... I'm saying it's trope, writing Mm. like the the perfect woman who is abused, is also just like lazy writing. Yeah, it's easier to not write a a character that behaves like a human. Right, Uh, but but in this in this movie, I just that was like one of my favorite elements of it. That was like cool. Not that I want to see abusive relationships on screen every second of my life but that was i thought like really effectively done yeah and and they really they don't spare the audience in the way the abuse is depicted i mean it's 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 hard to watch it's Yeah. yeah it's hard
1: let's take another break and then we'll come back for more discussion
2: bean dad the dress Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready. You know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit.
0: Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: But speaking of real people, which Uh is what this movie is about, uh, that brings me to something I wanted to talk about regarding biopics and how most biopics are about. Men. Mm -hmm. Some of them are tortured geniuses. Other ones are about fucking mediocre as hell men. Oh, I have
2: including (sighs) the disaster artist and Ed Wood. Throw a fucking (laughs) stick and you'll hit a man who has somehow had a movie made about his unremarkable (laughs) life.
1: So few biopics are about women. I did some quick googling and found a list of about. 20 or so that people have heard of. There's more over the course of film history. Yeah. (laughs) A few of the more notable ones include this one, I, Tanya, Frida, Hidden Figures, Elizabeth, the Iron Lady. A lot of these are kind of recent too. Jackie, Lena, the Queen. Julie and Julia, and then Ugh. there's also What's Love Gotta Do with It? Selena Gia Aaron Brockovich. Monster Monster. Mary
2: Antoinette.
1: Persepolis. Persepolis. Love and Rose. The Passion of Joan of Arc, which is a long time ago. Oh, that was The a coal biz- miner's biz- daughter. Biz- so there's only there's not a, a small handful of biopics about women.
2: And every other I mean and the biopics is such a massive genre. There's so many Oh, just Any loser can have a movie made about their life if they're they're a man. And often, in the case of Steve Jobs, which oh my god if you have not seen the Ashton Kutcher jobs vehicle I saw it on my 21st birthday and it was it's truly so remarkably bad that you have to see it you would be you're just if you don't watch jobs and figure out what the rules to the drinking game is it just it, the movie oh. basically gives it to you I'm like every time Ashton Kutcher is in a field talking about computers like what is happening there's a time where Ashton Kutcher is having an argument through a. Beach curtain you're just like what is happening yes you gotta watch it but 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 if you if if you look at the list of biopics about women by and large they're about white women yes by and large they're about straight women by and large they're about women who have had massive success Mm -hmm. that have led these amazing lives i from what i can pick out you know, like they're mostly triumph tales, with the exception of *I*, *Tanya*, and uh, *Monster*. Those are the two I can see on on this list that involve a woman failing. Right. Pretty bleak. Yeah. Folks. Pretty pretty bleak. And one
1: might argue that, oh, well, there aren't more biopics about women because there aren't more notable women? figures <laughs> in history. And, well, it's I would counter argue, yeah. History is written by the Victors, which are, which are men. <laughs> yeah.
2: Met people named Victor. Victor. <laughs> specifically. <laughs> <laughs> and so, history is written by a mean old bitch named Victor. <laughs>
1: So (laughs) there are plenty of... And if it seems like there aren't more notable figures from history who are women, it's because they don't get talked about. They don't get written about. They've been written out. Or if there are actually fewer... It's because women haven't been allowed to be fucking politicians until two seconds ago. It's because women weren't allowed to be any, like, so many
2: things. Leaders of any industry. Or even allowed in the industry. I can't wait for IRBG. The RBG movie's gonna be fucking tight. Also, there is sort of a weird trend in some of these biopics where it's like... And this is, I think this is a biopic trend overall, but it, it is maybe because there's so few about women, it's like, ah, come on. There is some that it's like, and at the end she's murdered, where that is that is several on this list of like, what made her life so remarkable was that she Died in a gross, sexy way, and you're just <laughs> like, ah, oh, fuck! We come on, we, we got watch James Franco saw his leg off, <laughs> and you can't have a movie about Ruth Bader Ginsburg grow up there's movies about fucking civil like the wrong side of the civil war and there's <laughs> biopics about southern generals in the come on what do you how many times is Leonardo DiCaprio gonna play someone in the 1920s oh, before yeah. I get my Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie I'm now married to it <laughs> they That's not to say that there's not good biopics about men, there are, but the fact that there are so many male figures that have more than one biopic about them, that is not a problem that the female equivalent... Has you're not finding like God which Steve Jobs biopic should I watch? <laughs> you could literally
1: there's three of them. There's three yeah. of them. Should I watch Lincoln or should I watch Young Mr. Lincoln? <laughs> <The> fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably not even all of them. And this doesn't even include all the fucking stupid like History Channel documentaries. Blah blah blah. Whatever. Like and I mean if we just, go like, back major release. Right. mainstream Hollywood
2: biopics. If we go before 1950, I mean, there's a million male biopics about the randomest men in existence, <sighs> like a randomized video game character. They're like, we have to have a three-hour epic about this amazing man's journey. May like, I also
1: just take this opportunity to say that Citizen Kane, which is loosely based on... Oh, such a drag. Uh, William Randolph Hearst. Yes, it's the worst movie I've ever seen. I hate Citizen Kane. Fuck that movie. It's so fucking boring. Hot who cares take. about your fucking sled? Get over it and fuck off.
2: <laughs> I don't like Citizen Kane. I don't. You know, it's not. The, I don't think it's the worst movie of all time. I dated a guy who was really into Citizen Kane for a while, to the point where he tried to remake Citizen Kane oh, with with. <laughs> and you're gonna know exactly what I'm talking about with prop comedy. <laughs> Oh, yikes. And it was halfway shot before someone told him it was a fucking terrible idea, <laughs> <laughs> which is, like, one of my favorite anecdotes of all time, because I was I was complicit in being like, this is a great idea. Uh, everyone thought it was a bad idea, oh, but yeah. people hate telling men that they're... Idea is the worst idea of all time, <laughs> and that's why so uh, much mediocre male art is out there because people love telling women their ideas are bad. Oh yeah, uh, but men—they're like,
0: oh, yeah, yeah, save your life savings, try. trying to remake.
2: <laughs> it's okay, you fucking
1: idiot! <laughs> oh boy. Well, A few other things I wanted to mention. We see what has become a trope of. Oh, I noticed the Caitlin trope. A woman being good at fixing cars as a way to show her as the. I'm not like the other girls. But But in this movie, yes, and there are examples of this where it doesn't feel tropey or it doesn't feel like it's a weird tacked on trait to make her feel I'm not like one of the other girls. This is an example of a movie that does it well. But like, you, Tanya walks up to Jeff. He's like fiddling around with his truck, and she's like, "Oh, you got to do this thing," or blah blah blah. And she like reaches in, and she also has braces. She yep. has braces. Ah, it's so cute. <laughs> he's like, "Oh, okay." Um, Jeff but is yeah, hot I in this
2: scene, and totally it's like you don't know what to do with it. <laughs> You're just like, he's the scene, the part where, and you, and you know, like, if you didn't know, he was about to become a historically notorious piece of shit. That story beat when the very heavy-handed Romeo and Juliet begins to play, when he's like, "You're so fucking pretty." Yeah, and she's like, "No, I'm not. No, no. you are." And you're just like, "Ah, oh, please yeah. kiss," and yeah. then end the movie, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then break up immediately. But that was a nice moment. Uh,
1: but yeah, no, I totally believe that she was good at fixing cars just based on her background. But and... the fact that they show it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Um, because it happens again in a in an episode that we've either just done or is about to come out is uh, Josie and the Pussycats, where it's yeah, like
2: that okay. One, that one did not make sense in the context of the story. No, not at, at all. <laughs> all. Like Why?
1: But Alan Cumming does give a break the fourth wall glance at the camera at one point in the movie. And <gasps> I'm it is... going,
2: I cannot wait to record that episode. I'm <laughs> gonna explode. <laughs> like, And it's to a meatloaf song. It's like that was designed with me in mind. Yeah. I can't even believe. Anyway, okay. I'm shifting. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm getting... Okay. Uh, but but that's it. Going off of the fact that that trope... I, I would agree that trope is present because that was intentionally shown. But the way... This movie, it would have been very easy. I wonder if the director of photography for this movie was a man or a woman. I don't know. This movie is directed and written by a man, which I was surprised at. Two different men. Yeah. But this... Movie, I mean, a movie about figure skaters in general, it would have been a very easy choice to sexualize the way the movie is shot, and it's not shot that way at all, totally. and when you see figure skating scenes, you're looking at either Tanya's face to communicate how she's feeling about herself, or you're seeing the athletic focus, you see, like, the triple axel a million times. Right. So I thought that was really... I won't say impressive, because that's just how it should be, but...
1: Agree, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's what it should default to. And yet, so many movies are shot in such a way where it's, hey... We're shooting this with
2: the male gaze camera, Most which t- <laughs> has magnets that are just on a woman. male gaze goggles and on. It's and ass. Right. And, and, and the way that, I mean, skaters were sexualized in this time would have made it a very easy, cheap choice. And mm-hmm. they don't make that choice. And yeah. I thought so. Cinematography was good. by Nicholas. Oof, Her, lots low, of I Don't know that
1: last name But that sounds like a man
2: Kara 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 Kara
1: Film editing by Tatiana
2: Feminist which I... icon Tatiana
1: Regal Yeah
2: She edited Lars and the Real Girl Ooh. I just learned. <laughs> Anyways, I hope she, I, I, I genuinely, just based on all, I haven't seen all the Oscar frontrunners, but this was like the best editing I saw in any movie. It was, it,
1: yeah, shot very well,
2: edited very is great. well.
1: Yes, it
2: is a terrific movie.
1: It is
3: so good.
2: I mean, not as good as Paddington 2, but. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to talk really quickly about the role of toxic masculinity in this story. It is, yeah. As it pertains to Jeff, I think we've we've already sort of covered that relationship a little bit. We don't get to know Jeff very well in this movie. And that doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. But of the two abusers, we know Jeff far less well. But what we know about Jeff is that when Tanya doesn't behave the way he wants, he hits her. Uh-huh. And he, you know, it, it's a pretty cut and dry dynamic. And We see that over and over and over. But the moment in their relationship where, and they both acknowledge this in interviews. And I thought the way it was portrayed, like there's that moment where they're like, after the triple axel, everything changed. Mm-hmm. Where, to me, that indicated a shift in the power dynamic of, like, when Tanya basically was just growing more confident in her abilities yeah. and, and ability to succeed, their relationship worsens. And to me, I felt like that was a response to a man not feeling in control of the relationship anymore. Yeah,
1: feeling inadequate or like, oh, this woman is more successful than me. She's better right. than
2: me. And he because he doesn't her. really have... He doesn't have... He has a job, but he doesn't have special skills the way that Tanya does. Right. Anything. And so we see examples of like, he's very... On paper would appear to be supportive in that he is present. He's there. yeah, but he you see him taking credit a lot for stuff. and you see him repeatedly asking to be noticed and appreciated for, you know, and it's not wrong to want to be appreciated, but it's absolutely wrong to hate your wife. So, you know, i think I think that it's it wasn't a brand of toxic masculinity that we haven't seen displayed, but mm-hmm. I thought it was whatever effectively presented. Especially for a character we don't know that much about in terms of his background. We know that he's poor. Right. He says a little bit about himself, but that's basically all you know. Sean, I think, is a more interesting case study here. And I love Paul (laughs) so much. I wanna be his best friend. Sean is a different kind it reminded me of that pop culture detective essay about like the toxic masculinity of like nerdy guys of how sort of for years in movies like Weird Science where it's like the nerds will rise up and fuck every woman where you know it's presented that narrative of like nerds don't get to have sex with girls and what a massive travesty! And they yeah. should be allowed to enact. They should be allowed to be just as shitty to women as popular guys.
1: Ugh. I just watched Sixteen Candles last night for the first time. I won't fully get into triggered. it, but my god, is that the worst movie Fuck. I've ever seen? I think Continue. we should do it. We should we do should a Johnny special because it's Ugh.
2: despicable. But presenting toxic masculinity as a punchline was like another very deliberate choice this movie makes that I thought worked really well. There mm-hmm. were some moments where I was like. Ah, he's doing violent, terrible stuff. But by and large... I think presenting that character as a fucking joke who literally, I mean, he's, he's speaking in like pretty broad strokes of like, I never do anything wrong. Cut to like him doing something wrong. Yeah. That was another great Paul up that when he's oh. in the back of the car, he's like, they'll never break yeah. me. <laughs> Cut to a montage of him just
1: bragging about, you know, the Nancy the- Kerrigan thing. Yeah, that was me and my crew. And <laughs> it's like, uh, oh.
2: and also he lies like five times. He's like, I got paid $65,000. I'm like, <laughs> (laughs) did it what are you talking about it was just like it was oh god I mean I I I think that that the way that character is presented was really interesting choice that maybe won't work for everyone but I thought it was a way that we don't see toxic masculinity displayed a lot that can be effective
1: true yeah I agree another couple things I wanted to point out about her abusive relationship with Jeff is that at one point you know she says you know, I thought it was my fault that mm-hmm. he was hitting me. That I just thought was interesting just to have it be pointed out because that's such a common right. thing for abuse victims to feel because their abuser is often also extremely manipulating and makes them feel as though it is their fault. And the fact that it even gets said, yeah, I thought was important.
2: Moments like that, like, this is weird to say, but like I wish that this movie had come out when I was a teenager. mm because there's so much presented here that is presented really explicitly and directly even when they're like painful truths to be very direct about but I'm like excited for like young girls who are uh-huh. seeing this movie and and can hear these messages stated so clearly like that's awesome
1: Another good message that I think the movie sends is it starts with you see like a tiny tiny scene of her stepbrother, creepy Chris. She's yes, like, I, yes. He, this guy was living with me at the time, and I remember our, my first date with Jeff because he I had my arrested. my creepy stepbrother arrested that day because you see a scene where he comes up and gropes her and like fondles her breast, and, and she then she like takes him down, flings him down, and calls the cops on him and like has him basically arrested and kicked out of the house. And then there's a number of other times in the movie where she calls the cops on Jeff and nothing is done. And has Restraining orders filed and against him. Done. He often violates them. They even get divorced because they get married and then divorced. But she takes him back after that. He so, also I mean, shoots that's, her. He shoots her. Nothing is the done. Cop, a cop pulls them over. Pretends sees to her not bloody face. It. Yeah, and then and then while he's. Kind of talking his way out of it in the background with the cop, you see another scene where Tanya's directly addressing the camera, saying, like, like he can can talk his way out of anything. Never, the cop just left me there. Like, mm,
2: it was, I mean, well, yeah, how women are disservice when you can't make the argument that she didn't try to get out. She did. She did. But, you know, the abuse cycle, it's, yeah. The last thing I wanted to talk about was the media aspect of it, Yes, which feels especially relevant right now.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Of A lot of the reason this story unfolded the way it was, was for ratings and for, you know, there is that side of it. But ultimately, it was that people just didn't believe Tanya. Like, they did not believe what she was saying. I think this movie makes a really great point of, like, her whole life, no one believed her, even when she was saying over and over, "like this is the abusive relationship I'm in, this is how my class is getting in the way of me achieving my goals." Say with Jewel about her, she's a very direct character For sure. and person, and and she's just kind of shoved aside. And reasons are found to dismiss her, and sometimes even including like the fact that she's very direct is used as a reason to discredit her. Yeah, it's like you're too blunt. You like we. It's trashy. Yeah, it's to be not blunt. classy. Right. And the ultimate message being that, like, people just didn't believe what she was saying. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of ways that people were biased and prejudiced against her that informed that reaction. You know, like, there's a lot, there's certainly a lot of gray area in this story, but that she was done a huge disservice Mm -hmm. by the media that ended up robbing her of a career that it seemed like people always wanted to rob her of anyways. Right. Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah.
1: There's a line that she says in the movie... She's talking about Nancy Kerrigan, and she says the press wanted Nancy to be the princess and I to be the pile of crap to sell papers. So basically they had decided, even though they came from similar economic backgrounds, Nancy and Tanya. Mm -hmm. Which the movie should have said. Should have said. But because Nancy was maybe not as crass and maybe a little bit more refined in her appearance, the press just held on to that and were like, yeah, uh... Tanya is white trash, forklift driving welder lady who's like, ugh, gross. And her
2: competitor, of course, they were. Well, the thing is, like, that sucks is, like, Nancy was from a similar background, but she just, she was willing to play ball, as it were, by not really saying anything about her background. She was very, like, old interviews with her. They're just you know in the way that you see a lot of teenagers who come to prominence and stay there, she's not really saying that much. she's saying like she's thanking people she you know she's not stating her opinions uh-huh. as much as tanya is and and I think that like there is a big element of like people wanting her to apologize for something that she does she she's an unapologetic person, and people did not like that right. and i it's i mean we've hit on this before of just like an un- unapologetic man sky's the limit for those types of characters yeah. and a lot of biopics that is like the the center of it like mm-hmm. he'd never apologize for doing what he thought was right yeah. and that's what we see tanya doing and you know you can see the real historical result is that her life was ruined because she wasn't willing to play ball and yeah was unapologetic about who she was
1: i don't know if this is an appropriate parallel to draw but remember when mike tyson bit off someone's ear and everyone's like that's badass oh mike tyson oh the slap on the wrist but uh actually you, you can still be in the public eye and you're like
2: what a silly guy and did it and i think that ties back to like the femininity issue of like the sport she was in of just yeah. like she wasn't supposed to be tough in that sport she's supposed to be traditionally feminine yes And there was no wiggle room. But
1: then, also, just the way that like the press and media treated both cases, where like Tanya was to some degree involved in violence against Nancy Kerrigan, and Mike Tyson was no doubt involved with violence. (laughs) There's no way around.
2: There's video footage of it
1: by biting his ear off, but. He got some shit for a while, I remember. But now, like Mike Tyson, you can see him in movies. Like he's still check out. Please,
2: God, don't watch
1: The Hangover. But like, (laughs) exactly, like huge. He's still a person that people. Yeah, and often he's the butt of a joke. But the fact that he's still. But honestly, that uh,
2: was that ended. I I'd argue that ultimately that was a boon to his career. Yeah.
1: Whereas with Tanya, it was easier to villainize her
2: Mm -hmm. because of the patriarchy that little she... shifty patriarchy oh. back again oh. oh we thought we got it last time uh recommended viewing for people who enjoyed i Tanya. first of all watch the 30 for 30 documentary mm. it's made by i forget what her name is but a really great documentarian also i think it is relevant that the source material for this movie was curated and presented by a female filmmaker Really, really, really good. And then follow-up, I would watch the uh, Netflix documentary about Amanda Knox, where you'll find a, a similar story of, uh, I mean, there's no limit to the stories of women being victimized in media. That's why our show exists. But in terms of, like, real-life stuff, Amanda Knox, the I mean, the story being that she was accused of murder when it was clear very early on that she did not do it, and it was done by someone else who admitted to it. <laughs> but for years, it was like, did she do it? And it was pushed by the media. And I think that this movie pulls from that a little bit because there's that shitty media guy that we see in the talking heads over and over who's yeah. like, hee hee and I popped her tires. Like, the... <laughs> That seemed, like, almost directly pulled from, there's, like, this British tabloid journalist in the Amanda Knox documentary who couldn't be more thrilled with himself for ruining her life, and I just want to shoot him, uh, but recommended viewing. Yeah. Hey, does this movie pass the Bechdel test, I wonder? It certainly does. for sure does. You've
1: got Lavanna and the coach talking. You've got Tanya and the coach talking. You've got Lavanna and Tanya talking to each other. You've got, we didn't talk about this character, but... Tanya fires Diane, her first coach, and then hires someone named
2: Dottie or something. And then when she fucks up the 92 Olympics, Diane ends up coming back. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. With that great scene at the diner where Tanya's like... Well, I'm just like my mom. I'm a waitress. I'm poor. I'm out of shape, and the good news is I also am unskilled. It's <laughs> like that was fun.
1: <laughs> that was fun. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the movie passes dozens of times. It's not even worth
2: counting how many because it's no. This movie is tons. T- from moment one. Women take up the screen for the majority of the movie, and again, it is worth saying it's ninety-five percent white women. Yeah. <sighs> again, tricky. It's a biopic. Tricky, mm-hmm. we're in Oregon for most of the movie, but worth saying. Oregon, which was founded as a white supremacy
1: state, if you didn't know. Didn't know. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah. Uh, well, they wouldn't even let black people live there oh until sometime in the 1920s, I
2: want to say. Well, that explains. And it was what like. What a yeah, white state it is. Yeah, it was founded oh, as like,
1: this fucked. is gonna be a white haven for any white people oh who wanna God. live here and not be around any people of color. I did not
2: know that. That makes sense of every place I've ever seen in Oregon. Mm
1: hmm.
2: Whoa. Very white. Fucked up, <gasps> man.
1: Shall we rate the movie? Yes. I'm gonna give it a five nipple, I think.
2: I think I am too. Uh, no, no. I'm gonna give it four. Okay. Because, and I know it's about I, Tanya Harding. But I do think that Nancy was... Robbed. Ra- was was villainized was in robbied. this.
1: Margot.
2: She was Margot, Margot Robbied. robbied. <laughs> <laughs> I think she was, and I understand why this choice was made, but I don't like it. She was villainized in this story that she was not. She couldn't be less of a villain or even a willing participant in. Mm-hmm. I thought that there were several small opportunities to flesh her out a little bit but the movie shows no interest in giving Nancy's character any dimension which I, that really did bother me. However, every other woman we see on screen is flawed, has motivation. Just, I don't know, just like a lot of human women are yeah. shown in this movie and are shown together and are shown in conflict, are shown not in conflict. There's, well, actually, no, kind of everyone in this movie is in conflict at all times. Yes. Regardless of gender, pretty much without exception. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Down to the fucking, we didn't talk about this, where the, we think we're getting a reconciliation scene with Tanya and her mom, and oh. they're like, nope, she's being paid by someone to, to get report. Tanya to admit she yeah. did something that she may not have actually done. Amazing. But yeah, I mean, this I think that this movie is terrific. I just wish. Justice for Nancy, baby. Nancy, to her credit, slash to my low-key fury, still to this day, has no interest in talking about it. Hmm. They're like, have you seen I, Tanya? She's like, nope. wow she will not talk about it she has no interest i mean and it's weird because nancy kerrigan ended up kind of making a killing off of this incident although obviously she was not again she's not a willing participant in this right but she did make that amazing comeback and then off of that amazing comeback she won second place Mm -hmm. made a face which i'm just like that's the only time we've seen nancy kerrigan behave human is that, because she was so, like, conscious and perfect. And then when she was just, like, kind of, there is, like, a great clip when Nancy Kerrigan gets the silver medal in the Olympics where the girl who wins, like, a Russian girl, is, like, taking a while to get off the ice because she's crying so much. And Nancy's just, like, there's, like, a clip of Nancy Kerrigan being like, why are we going to just, are we just going to keep filming her crying? (laughs) And it's like, okay,
1: fine, she's a person, you know? In fact, I liked it. First of all, I make faces all the time. I always have a scowl on my face. So, and also, that's basically telling telling a woman
2: to smile. Smile, you are right. prettier
1: when you smile. She lost.
2: That yeah. sucks. After all she went through, like uh, she frowned. Mm-hmm. But but the movie casts her as in, I mean Tanya right. casts her as in the wrong for doing that, and the movie makes no commentary on the fact that that is probably a little petty of her because uh, you know Nancy. <laughs> Anyways, clearly I'm a Nancy Stan. I love her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love Tanya too. I love this movie.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna I I'm gonna stick with my five just because I don't have the same emotional investment, <laughs> freakish in attachment to Nancy to, Kear- to Nancy Narek- Kear- Kerrigan as you do. So I, I just thought it was great her. that we what feels like because they actually are real people depicted because. Other biopics will be about a historical figure
2: and totally glass over them and make them not Oh yeah, that Tom Hanks movie about Walt Disney. Also, that t- Tom Hanks biopics are fucking problematic. Charlie Wilson's war is an atrocity to nature. Charlie Wilson <laughs> was like a senator, I'm pretty sure, who literally the whole movie is like, he's abusing women and it's fucking cool. Tom Hanks and biopics, no more. The Post, fuck off.
1: Well, uh, an example I saw recently was The Greatest Showman, which is the worst movie I've ever seen. I did go to see it because Zac Efron is in it, and that's my cross to bear, but... That movie totally glossed over all the horrible shit P.T. Barnum did in his life and does not depict him as an interesting or compelling or multi dimensional character the way that no. Itania does. So Itania was very responsible in presenting these characters, flawed as they may be, as dynamic, multi dimensional characters and people. And exploring things that movies don't often, if they do explore, they don't go into enough depth about or make any real statement about, which is, you know, class struggles and abuse and the media's portrayal of women and things like that. So It tackles a lot. It do- tackles a lot, and I think it does it all, for the most part, pretty responsibly. And on top of that, it's just, you know, a woman's story. It's a woman driving the story. And it's a fun movie. It's good. Yeah,
2: Because there is kind of, like, sometimes a tendency of, even in movies that fare well with the Bechtel test and portrayal of women, of, like, yeah, we're seeing strong female characters, but we're not seeing strong, flawed female characters. True. And that's something this movie does very well. Yes, indeed.
1: So, yeah, uh, I give it a five nipple, and my nipples go to... I think that Sean Eckhart
2: has eight nipples you think he's a cat (laughs) I think he's a cat (laughs) how great would it have been if alfred melina was in this movie can i just say there's not really any older male parts in this movie though so it might have been impossible and also how amazing is it that there's no older male parts Mm. in this movie um so alfred melina unfortunately i think i mean he's a feminist icon he posted a thirst trap Along with a caption <laughs> that's like "Donate to Times Up," and it's like, um, what, bitch? But like, <laughs> I love it. You're get, so you're giving Sean Eckhart five nipples. Five Nipples. <laughs> I'll give him two of mine, which brings up his count to seven. And <laughs> so maybe he just like he's got like a spare time. Because <laughs> uh, I love, I, I can't wait to see Paul Walter Hauser in every movie that comes out from now on. I I literally can't wait to be tired of him. Um, <laughs> And I'm giving my other two nipples to Nancy, sorry. Uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I also think that I look more like Nancy Kerrigan than the girl who played her in the movie. I'm just throwing it out there. Okay, sure. So, like, all the casting agents were patrons <laughs> on our Patreon feed. <laughs> Can't wait to play Nancy Kerrigan.
1: Well, that was the episode, folks. Thanks for listening.
2: Yes. Um,
1: I had given the... Ep- I, d- I didn't remember this, but I had given the movie five nipples, um, and, and Jamie, you had given it four. I think I wouldn't necessarily give it five. If we like well, to, to do like the episode Caitlin today, backpedaling
2: on her nipple <laughs> rating again, <laughs> Caitlin backpedal Durante strikes again. I, I don't know. Maybe I would still give it, I might, I might even score it a little lower. I don't know. Maybe it would still be around a four for me. I think. Mm hmm.
1: I think I would drop it down to like a 4.5 for the reasons that you cited in the episode. I was just too, I was too gung-ho about it, I guess. I was just like, to
2: be fair, Ed had just come out and we were all excited. We were like, Alice and Janny's gonna win that Oscar. And then she did. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I, I feel like, oh, and I want to say on a final note. That I think in the two and a half years since, this movie has kind of slipped out of the zeitgeist in a way I do not like. I feel like people mm. don't talk about Itanya really at all. And I feel like it's it's you and Demi Adejuyi Bay are the only people talking about Itanya and we need to fix that. Me and Demi's text thread is pretty much all about i ta- like it's just like watching it again <laughs> like it's just we're both watching it a lot he he and i have a similar text thread about paddington, paddington so yeah. that makes sense <laughs> demi is that friend because he's just yeah. <laughs> he's a man of passion um uh-huh. but i i would encourage you if you like i Tanya, tell someone who hasn't it's on hulu for crying out loud it's not hard to watch i Tanya. it's so accessible just Bring it to your friends. Bring it to your loved ones. It, you, they deserve it. Okay, that's... I'm getting off my soapbox.
1: <laughs> also, Jamie, I can't believe we went through that entire episode and you never
2: mentioned anything about Zambonis. Which is... I mean, that is for a reason. One of my, one of my only notes. Not a Zamboni in the whole movie. Not a damn Zamboni Not a in zam, sight. Which is, first of all, <laughs> Erasure. <laughs> zamboni erasure zamboni erasure there's for sure and like tanya harding is like she's like a working class hero she would be talking to the zamboni drivers she would be forging mm-hmm. lifelong friendships with the zamboni drivers i bet she knows how to drive a zamboni and operate like operate right? Oh, every I, now i want to just quote the whole movie again <laughs> like, she does chop wood every day She does drive the Zamboni every day. Yeah, that would be I mean, that would just be if this were a fictional story. They're like, well, yeah, Tanya pays for her lessons by driving the Zamboni, which is something that I would do for anything for free. Oh, sure. Like to refer to a recent
1: episode on the Cheetah Girls, when the one character works at the community center to pay for
2: her. For her dance lessons, it's it could be just like that. That's a very common way to get uh, children to do labor they shouldn't necessarily be doing. Um, was my True. I did the same thing for dance classes in in uh, in high school. They're like, oh, to help mm-hmm. teach the little kids, and then we'll look the other way. And you're like, look the other way. I'm doing a job. Mm-hmm. Anyways, yep. I Tanya rocks. She should have been on a zamboni. Also, I've ridden a zamboni. End. Wow, <laughs> fiend. Um,
1: well, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, you can follow us on social media at Bechtelcast on Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Really, be sure to follow those accounts because that's where we post. You know, certain events that we have. Maybe and- you were
2: maybe you were hanging out on our Titanic live stream last week. We're hoping to do more of those. So just mm-hmm. stay in touch. Don't be a stranger. You can yeah. uh, join our the the episode you heard unlocked today was from our Patreon aka Matreon where for $5 a month you can get two bonus episodes a month as well as access to our back catalog which is over 70 episodes i think at this point mm-hmm. um so there's just if you're running low on main feed it's a great place to go and it's also a great community you can get our merch at tpublic.com slash the there's just options upon options upon options of ways for you to form parasocial relationships with us you should um make an itania design for
1: oh, merch okay <laughs> Don't tempt me. Also, I wanted to pitch this. Oh, go for it. A crossover of I Tanya mm-hmm. and I Frankenstein. What
2: if they exist in the same universe? <laughs> we should honestly, I now I'm like, should I change my other birthday Patreon episode to I Frankenstein? <gasps> honestly? Wow. Mm, something to think about. I would. I Frankenstein is <laughs> It was two perfect (laughs) movies combined. It couldn't be done. (laughs) Oh God, I love. I forget said so much. Like. Uh, the scene where he's on top of the mountain and he's just swinging around nunchucks but there's no one there I love it I simply don't remember I think I've seen it but I
1: don't remember anything about it
2: Aaron Eckhart really wishes that you didn't remember anything about it
1: (laughs) I would would gladly record a bonus episode on it though if that was your birthday
2: wish maybe that's the move (laughs) about to make my wishes come true
1: wowie All right. well thanks again everyone
2: How did the internet, or the algorithm, choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever
3: you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves.